This episode is brought to you by Haymakers Community Engagement Consultants. If you run a business or nonprofit working to make the world a better place, then visit wemakehay.com to see how Haymakers can help. This episode is also sponsored by RuralOrganizing.org. RuralOrganizing.org has been equipping and empowering rural changemakers since 2012. Visit RuralOrganizing.org for more information. Okay, okay, keep looking up! Okay. This is Flyover Book, a podcast exploring the progressive arts, culture, and politics of rural America. There's a lot of fear in that genre. Still comes back, you know, I mean, the the joke is you don't want to get Dixie chicked. And, you know, there's still people talking about it. And still artists that, um, you know, anything political, political kind of becomes this third rail that you just can't piss on. Hi, and welcome back to Flyover Folk. Today, we're going to talk about the politics of Nashville. Our guest is Grammy-nominated artist Will Hogue. We talk about writing and singing political songs, growing up in small towns, and identity in the New South. I'm Matt Hildreth. You're listening to Flyover Folk, exploring the progressive arts, culture, and politics of rural America. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm, the, the question I want to ask you is, is, is largely about the politics of Nashville. Sure. But I don't know if we want to start there. If we want to, it's your it's your show. We can start wherever you want. If you want to warm up to it, or oh, man, we can just jump in. Um, yeah, I'm fascinated. I mean, you know, politics is kind of you know my life, and yeah. and um, there's an obvious overlap with country music. But then also, you have a great Senate race in Tennessee this this cycle, and yeah. Tennessee hasn't been competitive. In quite some time. <laughs> so, yeah. so I've been seeing a couple of, you know, different artists talking a lot more on Twitter and in other places about politics. And mm-hmm. obviously you have this new album coming out, which is Time Perfectly. It's going to be released in October. October 5th. Yeah, so just a month before the election. Yeah. And you're not one to shy away from politics. So what's the mood in Nashville right you now? You know, Nashville's because- interesting. Nashville is a big, bright blue dot in a really bright red state. Um and I guess like most of the country, really and truly, you know, your your bigger metropolitan areas, even within the the confines of Tennessee. I mean, you know, Memphis, Tennessee, Chattanooga, Knoxville, all tend to be a little bit more progressive. Um, Nashville's kind of always been that way. Um, and there's a lot more people. You know, there's obviously there's huge uh, healthcare is the largest business in Nashville, followed by entertainment. Did you know that? Yeah, That's so there's uh, much more of a progressive contingent than it probably gets credit for, and especially in the art world, because you know there's just not a ton of people. Once, uh, once your art and commerce get affected, people start to get a little bit quiet about their beliefs. Um, I've noticed, and I'm you know that's a disappointing thing for me because I think that we've we've reached a point, um, you know, in our country and in our discourse where this isn't really about. Republicans and Democrats per se anymore. You know, there's always going to be this divide, and there should, you know, there should be. We shouldn't all feel exactly the same about every single idea. But you know, we're really just at a point now where the I hate to use the moral terms right and wrong, but we're awfully close to that delineation at this point. So I think that silence is uh, 
kind of everybody's enemy at this point. So I'm trying to make sure that I'm very unsilent about it. It's interesting when you, at least when I think about uh, country music, I, I don't know. Do you, I wouldn't consider. I mean, you're sort of. I voted country. for Obama twice. I can't be a country so <laughs> yeah. a country singer. That disqualifies you're, me. Right now, I, I think I've noticed a lot of like left leaning Americana singers that. Yeah, that's Americana's country music for Democrats. Yeah, yeah. but I mean, you're, I think your music sort of spans. You know, yeah. a lot of different genres. So I don't mean to just say country music. No, that's but, okay. I mean, that's always been the the balancing act I mean on a, just an artistic level it's always kind of been too rock for country and too country for rock yeah. and that's just the the cross that I kind of proudly bear I guess yeah you, I mean you, it seems like you play music like people listen to it I mean yeah. nobody just says I'm going to listen to country music not anymore I think that the labels used to believe that and I think they've uh, finally figured out that's just not the case so in Nashville yeah. and when you look at Nashville singers or I guess any singer I mean I grew up listening to Garth Brooks, I'll admit it. And it was so interesting because I don't know if it was on the same album, but he would he had this song, We Shall Be Free, which mm-hmm. I know I don't think he wrote. And then he would seamlessly go into American Hockey Talk Bar Association, right. which if there was a if there was a uh, sort of tea party anthem, right. if they <laughs> could look back to the early night, yeah, it'd be pretty yeah. close to that. And so I've always wondered about you know, obviously a lot of that's responding to market demand and mm-hmm. what's popular and what people want to play. And, um, but you seem to just bypass that and just play and write what you want. Yeah. Talk to me a little bit about that. Like, do you, do you find that that's what a lot of the artists in Nashville do? Or do you think a lot of people kind of get sucked into the, the, I don't know, the trend of it? Yeah. Well, Nashville's a, str- uh, I shouldn't say strange, but Nashville is an interesting place in that, you have a lot of the big artists. I mean, even like you said, Garth Brooks. I mean, he really doesn't write any of those songs. Right. So you have a whole genre of people in the world of country music that the majority of them don't write at all. Right. You know, they uh, they pick songs from other writers. Yeah. So in that being that being the case, you get a ton of people that just they're not ultimately going to give you their feelings about much of anything. Yeah. They're going to give you. Even if it's like, oh, I believe this. It's still somebody else that said it, and then yeah. you're going to interpret it. Which isn't right or wrong. It's just um, that's an entertainment branch where I think that then you've got um, guys like myself uh, that are singer, songwriter, artists. Yeah. So then it is more about what you think and feel about things. So it's it's two sort of different things. I mean, the country music world at large, I think they're always going to be more concerned about um, money than yeah. they are about you know if they're saying something that lasts or matters and that's just commerce yeah 101 and you know there's a lot of fear in that genre it still comes back you know the, I mean the, the joke is you don't want to get Dixie chicked yeah and you know that's still a thing that's been what, 2004? Was that 2004, yeah. maybe? Yeah. Um, maybe slight, slightly after, but yeah, yeah around the I mean, around. it was a long time ago at this point, and, you know, there's still people talking about it, and still artists that, um, you know, anything political, political kind of becomes this third rail that you just can't piss on, you know? Because, like, even trying to do... We tried to do a thing for voter registration, a non-partisan... Because yeah. I do, at the end of the day, I just think that's something that's incredibly undervalued in our right. country, across the political spectrum. Like We have to get more 
young people involved and realizing how important that process is. More middle-aged and old people still don't vote or it's too difficult to get to the polls. And we've just yeah. we've got to work on that. And so trying to put together just a we, – we kind of looked at it like the old school MTV – you know, rock, yeah, the, rock vote. the vote. Like, yeah. And it was just, it was non-political. It was people just saying, let's vote. We'll play a concert. You come, you register. We'll do all these things. Yeah. And these people, it was like we were pariah trying to, <laughs> you know, get them. Well, we can't do anything political. It's like, it's just voting. It's not necessarily political. So no, that, we can't do that. That's coming from like brand managers or that's coming from pro- labels, artists, everybody. Yeah, I mean, it's just, there is such a fear of anything. Um, it's an interesting thing when you run your career based on the fear of losing any fan. Right. That's it's just interesting. A thing. You know, that's just not art that I'm necessarily. If everyone likes what you do, you're not doing something that's very good, I don't think. Right. Or if the goal is to get everybody to like yeah, it. Yeah. I and mean, that's just, and I think that's probably true in any, not just art, but business. I mean, you can't be a. A restaurateur that wants to cater, you know, everything that everybody yeah. wants. I'm gonna have it on my menu. You're gonna have a pretty shitty restaurant. Yeah, it's gonna be peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Yeah, and uh, foie gras. <laughs> it just doesn't work very well. Yeah, yeah. So, um, talk to me about some of the songs that are, you know, that are on the new on the new album. Where are those coming for? Is that in response to the the moment that we're in now politically? Is that stuff that's been written over a lifetime? Both. Um, you know, there's pieces of it that are. Um, have been around for a couple of years. There's some of those songs that kind of started getting built uh, a handful of years ago and then kind of didn't get fully realized until the band went in the studio. Um, some of them are really personal. I mean, songs like Still a Southern Man is really autobiographical. You know, for me, having grown up in a small town in the South, and, um, you know, really being enamored with uh, Southern culture and heritage and all of those things so many things that are great about the south um but not realizing there were these things that you celebrate that weren't particularly great about the south that's the song that says it's, it's a line in there about turn away dixie or no yeah, what's I'm the looking line? away now dixie looking away singing all i can stand yeah, yeah and that's about and you're also referencing a lot of the statue the confederate statues yeah, the rebel flag thing you know that was such a big deal when i, I mean when i was in high school we were the franklin rebels our mascot was a confederate general with a rebel flag and i was the guy that in support of our team i mean i I had a rebel flag and we'd show up and i loved it yeah not uh not in a way of wanting it to be anything other than this pride of our school or any of those things and it it didn't dawn on me how offensive that was to my friends yeah of color that I was in school with probably but it dawned on me enough at one point we were going to go play a football game in Memphis and I remember a, a friend of mine Donita Robertson Donita Moore now she came up and asked she was like we please not bring that rebel flag to Memphis oh my gosh yeah and I remember thinking at the time well of course I'm not going to bring a rebel flag to Memphis that would be so incredibly racist but it didn't dawn on you know you get these sort of small town blind spots where you don't realize probably racist to my friends here too um and then as you know as you move away from your little 20 mile radius that you spend all your time in and you start to open your eyes to different things you realize how backwards that was yeah so that i mean that's sort of my that song in particular is kind of my reckoning with uh, 
with that. And there's other parts that talk about you know, uh, illegal immigration, or what the, what they call illegal immigration, just immigration, and uh, what that must be like for the. In, in the case of the song Illegal Line, what the father in that situation must be feeling. Mm-hmm. That's not something I have firsthand experience with, obviously, but uh, trying to be empathetic to that very real yeah. struggle. That's an interesting song. I mean, the, I spent a lot of time working on immigration policy and also listening to country music. There's a special place in the country music heart for the border and for Mexico. I mean, going back to Marty Robbins and, right. you know, um, it's just, I, what, what, what do you think the border, I mean, what do you, where does that come from? I mean, obviously a lot of it's from Texas musicians, but, but it always seems like that was an, in, like you singing about the border in that mm. way, I thought was a really interesting addition to the repertoire of songs that sort of reference going to Mexico or yeah. you know west west Texas town of El Paso right. and all that kind of stuff. I thought that was an interesting addition. Yeah, I don't know, it's such a strange thing because I don't think it started that way. I mean, there's almost this even within country music when you talk about the border, you talk about Mexico, it's almost this romanticized thing, you know, that you uh, you escape you know, the outlaw always gets away to Mexico. Like Mexico's this safe haven. Yeah. And, and even in these great country songs. But I mean, I think that the fear for that and the sort of build the wall mentality that permeates uh, the country music landscape at this point, I don't think that's exclusive to just that genre. I mean, I yeah. think really that just gets down to good old fashioned nationalism and yeah. people really being afraid of something that they don't fully understand. Brown people aren't just sneaking across the border trying to right. rape and pillage and kill, um, and that's not my opinion. That's just facts. I mean, if you really take the time to do any sort of research about it, you realize not only is that not true, but it's also good for our economy and, and good for our country as a whole. If we would really dive into the issue and wrestle with the the difficulties of it and come up with real policies there's uh, a way for every single person to benefit from that yeah. but it's a whole lot easier to just go well, I don't want these people to take my jobs yeah well it seems like I mean it seems like the white guys are going through a lot right I mean yeah. a lot of it's almost an existential moment for for white men um, and it's probably a long time coming like for it sure. should have probably happened a long time ago but what do you, what do you think is a role for somebody like you as a role model to white guys or i mean do you do you see that that's something you know you're kind, you've kind of processed through this you've processed through you know having a rebel flag in your mm-hmm. high school and you know mascots and all that kind of stuff and 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 gun you know gun violence and all this other stuff yeah. that white men seem to react so harshly to i'm wondering you know what, is there a responsibility there? Or? I think so. I do. You know, and, and I think that that's where it gets really interesting because um, as white males, we've sort of always had near unlimited power and providence over whomever. At the end of the day, we're the greatest. Like it's the white male has control over whatever, the women, people of color, kids, all of these things. Um you know that not being the case anymore is 
is a good thing. Um, but I think that we have to, there's still a tendency even for, I think, some progressive white males to want to go to the black community and go, let me tell you what you need to do. Right. You see it even with, you know, some sort of moderate progressives with the um, Black Lives Matter movement right. or with uh, Colin Kaepernick kneeling right. and all these things. You hear them go, well, you know, you really, that's just not the place for this protest. Right. You, you, should, you should be angry, but we need to do it a different way. Or there's a way that, you know, white men still want to go to women and go, you know, change is coming, but, you know, need, you need to pace yourself. And, you know, those things are equally as offensive. And I, so uh, the, the long-winded answer to that question, I think that our job as white males, and this is one of the things that even progressive white males don't do very well, is it's not necessarily leadership across the board. Part of our job as white males is to listen to people of color and try to then empathize and understand and then support. And that doesn't mean then step in front and try to lead black people to freedom. It means what's harder is to go back and sit with your white friends that don't right. feel the same way. And that's where that leadership, to me, really becomes important. Where you have to say, um, we always want it to be these big sweeping changes. And we want to think that we're going to be the hero that comes in and saves the day. When in fact, you may just have to be the guy at the dinner party that says that the sexist joke is unacceptable or it speaks up for um, the person of color that's not there to represent themselves or whatever that is. So, yeah, I do. I think we have an, a big responsibility. And and how do you manage that? I mean, do you feel like there's a tension between, I mean, the identity? I mean, you mentioned the song that, about being, growing up a Southern man yeah. and you're still a Southern man. Do you think that you can hold on to that identity I mean, is it redefining that identity? Is it, I mean, how do you, how do you grapple with that, that tension? I mean, a lot of the folks that would listen to this podcast would be, you know, rural and progressive. And and I'm just wondering if you have any thoughts on that. Sure. Well, there's a ton of things to be proud. I mean, if we just talk about the South in particular, I mean, there's so many things to be proud of. Um, I think in my mind, I mean, all of the, our nation's best art, our best music, our best food, our best literature, all of these things are heavily based in southern culture so there's a ton of things just in that way that you can latch on to and i think the thing that i always like you know the idea of even like in school when i was a kid and you'd go back to this sort of civil war discussion of north versus south you know it was the south was this hard-working agrarian society and family was really important it didn't matter you know the north was what the north was but like this is what the south was and i mean again in theory, none of those things are like you shouldn't be ashamed of being a hardworking small town family man that looks out for the common uh, hardworking individuals in your area. Those are things like, we should still stand for and rally behind. And I think that when we get past the fear of sort of quote unquote democratic policies and get into real progressive politics, that's what you know, that's what we should all be fighting for at this point. I think for me, you know, as a Tennessean, what we're seeing now nationwide is, I think for a long time, progressives, especially probably our age and, you know, even under 50, there have been a lot of times in small towns and small southern areas um, where Democrats just come off as pussies that are scared of a fight, yeah, an argument or a discussion. You know, like when candidates won't even come to your town or your state to 
hold a rally, right? You can't expect people to then get excited about that person, much less go out and then form their own opinions or run for their small town city office. Yeah, and I think that's what's really interesting now is progressives across the board, especially in rural areas and things like that, really starting to use a voice and and realize. For the other people that maybe aren't progressive, but you realize yeah. at that point, it's one of the things I feel like with me musically, you know, you can go and do this country festival or whatever, and there's a guy that is a dyed-in-the-wool Republican, but he loves my songs, and then all of a sudden we play Nikki's a Republican now, or one of these songs yeah. that really flies on the face of everything that person believes. Yeah. But then after the show, for them to come up and go, I don't know if I like that song, but I like what you do. Like, there's already a different conversation that starts yeah. to be had there. Not every person has the same small town uh, conservative idea that that guy has. Yeah, I think it's interesting. I mean, we we've done you know polling, and and yeah. and, and, and and what you're saying is refe- reflected in the numbers. Yeah, where um, I think sometimes progressives got into this trap of, well, Republicans do well in small towns. Mm-hmm. So I need to act more like a Republican. Right. And then you talk to people at the bar I, I spent before I lived here. I was in a town of, a small town of 800 people in northwest Iowa. You talk to the bar and they would say, you know, the candidates are all the same. Yep. And I kind of I work in politics and it was like, yeah, they are. Right. <laughs> and and I think this this year was the first time. And, you know, I think a lot of people voted for Trump um, because they wanted to throw a wrench in the system. Totally. And I think there's a lot of people, frankly, across Appalachia, across the Rust Belt, that you know CNN's showing up in their town to talk about their town now because because of Trump. Yeah. So in some ways, they were successful for what they mm-hmm. wanted to do. I think it created uh, it's devastating for the country and specifically people of color and women. So I don't mean to blow past that, but but it, there, there was a lot of people that just said we can't have the same thing over and over, and that's why weirdly, at least in rural Iowa, like Bernie did so well. Yeah. And I think that was a real surprise to people is because mm-hmm. they had this idea of rural means, you know, uh, kind of this farmer, you know, you know, you know, very kind of upper upper middle class now mm-hmm. because farmers were doing better, at least before this whole trade debacle. But right. um, but there's just so many people there that I think have been looked past that are looking for health care. They're looking yeah. for like real solutions. Um and I and I I've been excited to see that that there's there seems to be a change where people are saying you know what maybe the goal is to not act more like Republicans mm-hmm. maybe the goal is to actually make these people's lives better and I think that that's why you see in some of these places like Georgia with Stacey Abrams yep. and Andrew Gillum in Florida I mean they're doing yeah. better in rural communities totally. in small towns and, I mean, and people you see it all with, with Beto O'Rourke and everything that's going on in Texas I mean you know here's a guy the thing is. The same way that we as progressives will correctly argue, like, trickle-down economics doesn't work. It's been proven that it doesn't work. Well, trickle-down politics doesn't work either. If we're going to be foolish enough to believe that we can just put somebody at the top of a Democratic ticket and then every rural community is just going to change, it's not going to happen. What has to happen, if we're going to change the top of the ticket, has to start from the bottom up. And you see it, you know, guys and girls, you know, Florida, Georgia, Texas, you've got to go visit those can people just want to uh, not be forgotten about, and they want their voices to matter, and that's not a crazy uh, desire. No, uh, and 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 I think that you're going to see that more on the progressive side, and ultimately, as that works, it's going to lift even 
the conservative side of the discussion to have to start yep. getting back to caring truly about the little guy can't just be about big corporate dollars in D.C. and yeah. waiting for that to spread around. There's a candidate that's running for our um, Congress in, in Georgia, a guy named Francis Johnson, uh, former president of the NAACP in Georgia, great guy. He was on a panel that we did at Netroots this year, um, and the panel was about, you know, rural doesn't equal white. But he had this great line about you can't organize what you don't love. Yeah. And this is a man that is literally getting bomb threats and, you know, he's in the deep south. He, yeah. He's going up, you know, toe-to-toe to the KKK. Right. And he's, you know, that that was his he, – he said that and it really kind of hit me as like that's, that's very true. And I think in some ways that is where progressives are missing – Something where it's they even their stereotypes towards the struggle of sure. rural people, either because they just assume it's just a white community or they assume, you know, whatever. It, it, it's a little bit condescending. I think that comes across in their politics sometimes. It can, and you know, I mean, that's important that we all talk about. That. I mean, you know, one of the things, as much as I think that Donald Trump is a racist, um, not because I think it, but because of his thoughts and actions and things like that. Right. But not every person that voted for Donald Trump is a racist. Now, I don't think they have a complete understanding of race. Yeah, they're not it, anti-racist, but right. Right. And and so but and again, these are hard conversations. Right. And it's important that we start to have them though. And just the idea that we're just going to yell at one another or or like I said from the progressive side of this just go these guys are all idiots. Yep. And it's never going to get any better. Well, I mean, if we believe that, that's true. But I also think there's still a lot of growth that can be done by a little bit of listening and then not just going, okay, well, that's just how they feel. Yeah. But going, no, here's what's incorrect yeah. or a different perspective of that. Because I do think at the end of the day, um, we're, we're still better as a country than we were 50 years ago. Yeah. Uh, across the Globally, I think just human population, we're becoming less violent we're becoming more educated i mean we are yeah um, and that's part of the issue you, know, you mentioned the sort of white male thing when we talked about that earlier in some ways this is the death gasp of that hierarchy yeah and that's not a bad thing either so where do you go for um you know to get to get educated on on these issues i mean where do you go for inspiration but but like you know, are you reading? Yeah, I think I people would be, it'd be interested to know where you go for this, you know, sort of information, so they can get up to speed as well. Um, well, the, this is where the internet is hugely helpful, uh, and not just an echo chamber. But you know, there are lots of um, really boring policy people that uh, a guy in just middle of America may not want to dig into the total minutia of every bit of policy but one of the great things with Twitter is you can find these people and you can get uh, a working knowledge of politics and policy and social issues and things like that. I think that that's where politically we lose a lot of people and I think for a long time as a small town kid that wasn't super not that I'm super educated now, but I'm just more worldly, I would say. But, you know, there's a long point where I think where folks just go like, I, I don't I don't know anything about 
corporate finance because I'm a farmer. Right. And that's not untrue, but the whole thing is not knowing about something is where you get taken advantage of. Right. Especially the small town working class folks. So, you know, you don't have to get a degree from an Ivy League school to start to have some understanding of that. So, I mean, I just encourage people to... um, Talk about it with your friends, and you'll find uh, one or two writers or one or two websites where you can go and uh, do Cliff Notes versions of it. You don't have to do a deep dive into every single policy yeah. issue. You shouldn't have to. We don't have time for any of that. It's not our job. But uh, and then holding your election, elected officials accountable to give you that information I think yep. is incredibly important. That's great. Well, last question maybe before we go. I'm wondering, um, aside from your own songs, which I think there's a, you have a great album that I think does a lot. I mean, a lot of your different songs, but a couple albums in particular that talk about small town. Yeah. But I'm wondering, what's the best best song out there on small town? Oh, man, that's a hard one. Um, I mean, there's just, you know, that's such... Uh, it's like saying, what's the greatest romantic movie of all right. time? Or yeah, the greatest is. war movie of all time? Or the greatest Western? I mean, there's such a lineage of those kinds of songs within the country world and the rock world. I don't know that I could possibly pick one, but you can listen to my records and then work your way back from there. How's that? That sounds great. Well, yeah. thanks for, uh, thanks for chatting and anything else to add? No, man, I appreciate you taking the time. You've been listening to flyover folk. Thanks again to today's guest, Will Hogue. You can find more about Will, uh, by going to his website, which is willhogue.com. He has a new album coming out and thanks again to the ruralists. You can find out more about them at northwestofnowhere.com. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. You can do so at the Google Play Store or at the App Store. And you can find out more information at our website, flyoverfolk.com.